Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. What is this saying? It's saying marital love with one's wife is just like enjoying your own cistern or fountain. If I have a, in those days, if I had a fountain in the front of my house, I don't go to my neighbor's house to get water. I drink out of my own. You wouldn't go there. And this is what the Bible is trying to say. In the same way God gave us sexual desires and they're to be fulfilled in fidelity. They're to be fulfilled in one place, in one spouse, never outside of that area. Imagine you're building a house, a series of connected rooms. Each one has its own purpose, but they all come together as one. As you live in the house, little things are added to the rooms that make them unique from one another. But they're still a part of the same house. Now, imagine two of the rooms want to go form new houses. When they split apart, the walls splinter and break. Things spill out everywhere. The other rooms are broken as well. The house is destroyed. Divorce does this to families. Foundations aren't meant to be picked up and moved. They're permanent. The Word takes marriage and divorce seriously, even if the world does not. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 15, with part two of our message entitled, Remodeling and Rebuilding Your Home. Now, the problem is, laying beside him is not another microwave. We have the slow cooker. Not the crock pot, the slow, slow cooker. You see, when a woman yields her body to her husband, it's a statement of trust and submission. She's looking for tenderness as you've already seen affection. Also excitement, because the same testosterone is in a man is also in a woman. That's where your sexuality comes from, your desire. Her body, like the slow cooker, unlike the man, is slow to warm up. In fact, if you're a wise husband, you will start warming the body up at the breakfast table if you expect dessert at night. And it comes from affection, not from groping. That's what my wife says, not from groping. It comes from affection. It comes from affection. Now, sometimes you have to warm it up on maybe Monday morning for Thursday night. It just, or the following Thursday. It just takes time to, you know what I'm talking, to warm up, doesn't it? Now, what happens is with a slow cooker, once it's cooking, it's cooking. The problem is the microwave has got cold and turned the TV on. <laughs> now, could God have designed the husband and the wife to be two microwaves? Yeah, different parts, but two microwaves. Or two slow cookers. But he didn't. Why? <laughs> Here's why. So that a husband and a wife could learn to give 
and love in the sexual area rather than lust and get. You see, the world says, get it when you can and as much as you can. God says, no love and give. So we have a microwave and a crockpot in the bedroom. And God says, if you'll please your spouse sexually, what you're doing is destroying your own selfishness. So my wife and I, as every other young couple, notice, young couple, <laughs> as well as you, when we're naked together, making love, there's nothing more intimate, more transparent, and more loving. Sexual intercourse is saying with your body, to your spouse, with every fiber of your being, I love you. I'm committed to you. I want to serve you. Now that's hard because my nature is a microwave and she's a slow cooker. But see, when I understand that and we give and take, then we blend. So she learns to love me for my needs and I learn to love her for her needs. And we learn to compromise. Is it tough? Well, it's tough. But see, that's where we learn. And God knew that. He didn't make us exactly alike. He not only made the parts different, he made the whole machine different. And he did that so we learn to give and to take. Now in this area, in your home, in the bedroom, for husband and wife, is there agreement, excitement, and fulfillment? Is there agreement, excitement, and fulfillment? Or is there argument, boredom, and disappointment? Argument, boredom, and disappointment. You see, sexuality is not just physical. It is partly physical, but it's also mental, and it's also emotional. That's why the drug Viagra has had such great success. It, it, in many people, it doesn't make any difference physically, but it's the emotional thing is, this is going to do it, and that's all it took. It does do it, but it has nothing to do with the drug, because much of sex is in the head. Now, what destroys sexual intimacy between a husband and wife? Let me give you three things quickly. Number one, fatigue. We're going so many places, there's just no time to even relax and enjoy our bodies together. That's the physical part, fatigue. The mental part is stress. When there's money problems and job problems and health problems and all those things, we don't do well sexually. Men do okay, but women definitely don't because that's the mental area, stress. The third area is emotional. If you're fighting with your spouse, for man that isn't too difficult, but for woman it's a great problem. Because see, remember I told you a woman is looking for trust and submission. If she's fighting with her husband, husband's been mean and you're angry and you're whatever, the, the guy as soon as he makes up, you know what he says, don't you? Let's head right to the king size bed. And she says, well, come on, we've been fighting for four days here, let's give it a little time. Statement I found yesterday that really spoke to my heart, here's what it says. Unresolved conflicts always find their way to the bedroom. Unresolved conflicts always find their way to the bedroom. Who wants you to fight in your home? Satan. Unresolved conflicts always fine. Here's another one you can work on homework this week. See if you can better this. Record kiss. Mark and Roberta Griswold of Detroit finished their championship kiss in the Breast Savers Longest Kiss Challenge in New York. 
The Griswolds beat eight other couples by kissing for 29 hours straight. I don't think so, do you? If you want to challenge and beat that this week, I know you won't be able to talk to me, so just email me or something and we'll see what happens. All right. Now we leave this wonderful intimacy of Adam and Eve. We travel through the book of Deuteronomy all the way to the first books of the Bible. As we've traveled, sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world, and the reason we talk about sexuality and divorce is because much of the sexuality that has gone wrong in our homes ends up in divorce. If it's not talked about, then people don't understand. So we have this great problem that sin has entered through temptation, a new commitment by a husband and a wife not to please each other, but to please themselves, selfishness, which is called sin. As time goes on, Satan says, I know how to affect humanity. I'll attack the home, which is the foundation of society. And that's what he's done. Turn, if you will, to Proverbs 5, chapter 5, verse 15. It brings us to the second area called fidelity. Not only is sexual intimacy within a home to be the area where you and I have available our bodies to each other as husband and wife, but fidelity. Proverbs 5.15. Now some of you are surprised that the Bible even speaks this frankly. It speaks even more frankly in the Song of Solomon. If you want to study that this week, just get your wife and do that. You'll love it. Chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Now we're not talking about water, we're talking about sexuality here. Should your springs or your sexuality overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares? No, basically let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain, the sexuality again, be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. By the way, that word captivated in the Hebrew means intoxicated by her love. Work on that one as a word study for a while. What is this saying? It's saying marital love with one's wife is just like enjoying your own cistern or fountain. If I have a, in those days, if I had a fountain in the front of my house, I don't go to my neighbor's house to get water. I drink out of my own. You wouldn't go there. And this is what the Bible is trying to say in the same way God gave us sexual desires and they're to be fulfilled in fidelity. They're to be fulfilled in one place, in one spouse, never outside of that area. But you understand it. In this home, God has his king-size bed. He has a husband and wife. Around this bed, he has placed a fence. And the fence is called fidelity. And here's what God says. Sex is great. It's good. It's pleasurable. It's fun. Exciting. But it is limited to the marital bed. Hebrews chapter 13 says the marital bed is to be honored above all and kept holy. Now, does the world do this? No. See, our sexuality is everywhere but there, even in the Christian homes. So we have all these divorces because people don't understand how it's supposed to be. You mean I have to give my body to my husband? What kind of deal is that? The world doesn't understand what submission is. We're not talking about brutality. We're talking about balance. I'll talk more about that when we get there. 
But what God says, around this marriage bed is a wonderful gate of protection. Have fun. Now, it doesn't have to be in the bed. It could be in the kid's room or whatever. Have some fun, whatever, a little, little excitement. You can do whatever you like there. But what, what he's saying is, around this holiness, it is to be kept holy. Young people, sexuality, outside of a marriage, between a husband and wife for life, any sexuality that moves in that area is sin. It's immorality. You say, I don't want to hear it. You need to hear it. Parents, you need to be teaching your nine, your eight, your ten-year-olds. Oh, I don't need to be doing that. Really? Yes, you do. In a positive, biblical way. And there's plenty of books to get to do that. So what God says is the, the marriage is to be holy. It's to be left within those bounds. Now the problem comes that Satan knew this. And as we go through the Old Testament, where Israel as a nation has just said to themselves, in Deuteronomy basically, I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to find a way to divorce my wife. I, I like the new model this year. I don't like the old model. I want an upgraded model, and this is what I want. And so man's selfishness and sin was there. Now what did God do? Just like he did in the garden, God said when Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't say, well, that's it, guys, it's over with, you're all going to hell, I'm not going to provide any solution. In the garden, God provided a solution by saying that there would come a Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So here in Deuteronomy, God says, what am I going to do? Am I going to destroy all these people? No, I'm going to provide, permit an exception. Not the rule, but an exception. And really, he provided the exception of divorce for women, because women in those days had no right. Women could not divorce their husband in those days. So it was a woman's protection. So he provided it. When we come to the time of Jesus, we have two schools of thought about what it means to get a divorce. You remember, that's a question they asked Jesus back in Mark 10 and, and Matthew 19 that we've been talking about. There was a liberal view that was from Rabbi Hillel, and he said a man could divorce a wife for almost any reason, any reason at all. She may not have looked good that morning. And we have it on history, they just divorced the wife. She may have burned the dinner. He divorces his wife. How many would have been divorced numbers of time already? That's just the way it was. It was just that way, liberal. Then we come to the conservative, and these were followers of Rabbi Shammai. He thought you could only divorce a woman, a wife, if she was guilty of some sexual offense. Do we have that same dilemma today between the liberal and the conservative? Yes, we do. Do we have it in the church? Listen from a book called Divorce, How and When to Let Go. Your marriage can wear out. People change in their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things. Really? Change is a part of life. Change in personal growth are traits for you to be proud of, indicative of a vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it's especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer fulfilling, can be the most successful thing you have ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. In fact, it can be a great personal triumph. Does that sound like the world we live in today? You betcha. And it sounds like the church. See, Satan knows if he destroys the home, he destroys the world. And that's exactly what he's doing with this selfishness. Now, I don't care what men say. Obviously, this is not a Christian. If he claims to be, he doesn't understand anything about God's word. We want to say, as we talk about biblical reasons for divorce, what does God think about divorce? You can just write this verse down, and I'll share it with you quickly. 
Malachi 2.16, that God still hates divorce. God hates divorce. He doesn't hate the person that's divorced. He hates divorce. Why does he do that? Let me give you an example. If you take a little plant that you buy at the nursery, and you take another plant that you buy at the nursery, and you get a bigger pot, and you put these two plants together, and you let them grow for a while. So from the top, you have two individual plants. Now, if you could take a look, and below the soil, if we would say that that pot had a clear pot, and you could see below the soil, what's happening below the soil? So that's a very personal picture of marriage. From the outward, if you take my wife and I, Linda, here, we've been married almost 32 years, we're two individual people. But if you look below us in the spiritual and the intimacy part of our life, what are we? We're just totally mingled all together. Now that's, that's the oneness that God is causing in our life. Remember, it doesn't destroy individual people. You're two. Now, if I decide I'm tired of this pot, I want to go elsewhere. And I say to my wife, I'm leaving. If I do that, what happens below? I start, what? Disturbing the roots, because they're intertwined like this. I hurt my roots, I hurt my wife's roots. I cause all kind of aggravation and death. That's why God hates divorce. There's no little clean little break, pick it up and move. You have all kinds of experiences that you rip and you tear and you shred and you hurt. And when you're transplanted to the next place, you just don't say, wow, that was neat, real easy, clean cut. We have no fault, divorce, nothing to it. We're amicable. No such thing. Now, the problem is that's bad enough. But then we have little plants that have grown between these two. And they have their roots. And what happens to the little plants when one picks up and leaves? The innocent little plants are destroyed. They're hurting. Innocent people hurting because of two selfish adults. And God loves little children. And that's another reason he hates divorce. Now, he doesn't hate the people. He hates divorce because he knew Satan would destroy it. Now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19 quickly. Here are the biblical grounds for divorce. Because God loved us, he permitted options. Notice the wording that I just gave you. Permitted options. Look at me. God's perfect plan is always for restitution. He doesn't want divorce ever being number one option. He always wants restitution and restoration. Always. But because he knows people's hearts are hard, sometimes he permits it. Biblical grounds, chapter 19, verse 9. I tell that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So the first of those three biblical grounds for divorce, this is my feeling, there's people, good people that have some maybe different feelings. You'll have to study this because it's a very difficult subject for yourself. Number one is persistent lifestyle of sexual immorality. A persistent lifestyle of sexual immorality. Jesus says because of man's selfishness and sinfulness, God will permit divorce for the one cause right here of, of marital unfaithfulness. The word is pornea, which is a Greek word that we get our word for pornography. 
So here's what Jesus says. If one spouse is relentless, persistent, unrepentant in their lifestyle of marital unfaithfulness, of homosexuality, bestiality, incest, pornography, and of course adultery, if that person is unrepentant, continually having those unfaithful times, not a one-time act, not a one-time failure of lust for whatever, but an over-repeating lifestyle, then for the safety of the other spouse, especially in our day and age with AIDS and all this, God permits divorce. For the safety of the other spouse that's left. Would God like to restore this marriage? Yes. But God permits divorce for the safety of the one spouse. Again, it's a persistent lifestyle. It's not a one-time or a two-time or whatever. It's a persistent lifestyle of unrepentant. person says, I repent. Next week, they're out having an affair. I repent. Three months from now, they're out having an affair. I repent. Five months, they're out having an affair. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning around and walking the other way. So it's a big difference. People can say all kinds of things they want. is isn't repentance at all. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 quickly. So that's the first biblical grounds for divorce. Now, Paul, remember, is in this pagan area. Jesus has been speaking basically to Jews, but Paul is in this, this pagan area. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's going to talk about two Christians getting a divorce. And here's what he says. Verse 10, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. So Paul says if, if there's no sexual immorality that's ongoing, if it's not going on and on and on, then there's really what he's saying here, and this goes for a husband or a wife, there is no reason, listen to me, there is no reason for a Christian husband and a Christian wife to get a divorce. Now that's a hard statement, but here's why he says it. If I'm first of all a Christian, then I mean, that means I'm committed to God. And that means I'm obeying God. That means my heart is open. I'm not sinning. I'm getting repentance. I'm changing my lifestyle. So God says, if you have two people that are committed to God, how would they ever end up in a divorce? Because God hates divorce. Do we have Christians that do divorce? Yes. For reasons other than unfaithfulness? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. Does God forgive them? Yes. You hear me say many times, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But you remember the roots. You remember the roots. So, Paul says, because he is realistic, look at verse 11. But if she does, or he does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. In other words, if there's some reason for safety reason or whatever, a husband wife come in and, and they're just fighting and they're angry and whatever and they've been going through this process for a long time, sometimes... I might even recommend a separation while they search and hope God. Notice what that verse says, till they get back together. That, that's the purpose, just to separate, to get back together. So for two Christians who are really serving God, I don't see an out. Do they still do it? Yes. Does God still take them where they're at and restore them? Yes, if they're repentant. But it's better not to do it. Because what you're saying is this, that God's power isn't great enough to keep us together. And that's really a horrible thing to say. In this portion of the marriage study, the issues of fidelity and divorce were addressed. Proverbs 5 described marital intimacy like a fountain eternally satisfying. Then we heard just how much the Lord despises divorce. Pastor Mark described divorce as two plants having grown together being separated. The roots were destroyed. 
While persistent infidelity might permanently damage a marriage, God desires reconciliation when possible. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we hear about how the Word deals with varied situations regarding marriage between two Christians, a believer and unbeliever, divorce and remarriage. God so desires that we should have successful marriages, He instructs and encourages in all areas of it. Pastor Mark will point to a story in the Bible to reassure those who have been through divorce that it's not a hopeless situation. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.